Well, uh, I'm Chad Barnes, and uh, it's, it's good to be here. Uh, I am friends with the Russell McClellan. Uh, he and I were uh, youth pastors at the same time years ago. And we just got connected and decided we liked each other as we kept hanging out. So um, that's All that. Right. Uh, uh, so um, I, I, I'm going to preach from John 14. So if you have the scriptures with you, turn to John 14. We'll be in 1 to 11. And uh, we'll kind of skip over also to uh, John 14, 14 to 16. Um, Life seems to be full of trouble. Um, you know, I don't say that lightly at all. Uh, you know, 2020 has legitimately been the most meme-worthy year of my lifetime, no doubt. And for lots of reasons. I mean, obviously the COVID stuff has been crazy. Uh, the drama of the presidential election, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, and so... It's just been a difficult, uh, difficult time in a lot of ways. And uh, so what I've done to open us here is I've assembled a collection of some of my favorite memes uh, to describe 2020. And so, did you come up yet? So I love this one. If 2020 was a slide, that's just terrific. All right, next. It was a swing. That's solid. No pun intended. Okay, next. It were a pinata. Yes. A scented candle. I love those, right? Yeah. Is there one more? Needs a math problem? If you're going down a river at two miles per hour and your canoe loses a wheel, how much pancake makes would you need to reshingle your roof? That is just fantastic, right? So that's uh, that's 2020 in a, in a, in a few memes there. Um, you know, as funny as they are, they really do represent uh, real difficulty for all of us. Uh, you know, for some of you, COVID and the presidential drama, uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, we've had a crazy year in May. I broke my leg, so I'm out for, I lay in the bed for most of, like, two and a half months or sat down. Uh, September, during the week of my birthday, the HVAC system in our house died and we replaced. And I got diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And so this is all bad news. Um, you know, it really is. And so... In a room this size, I don't even think those are probably the worst problems, to be honest. Um, I mean, it doesn't take very many people just to kind of go, no, we, we can come up with a whole laundry list of things that are not going well for us. And so if we look to Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, um, he sets this up in John chapter 13. Uh, and I think Jesus' disciples can relate to the trouble that we often face. They're eating in the Last Supper with Jesus, and so when they're gathered there, Jesus tells his disciples that he, the one they forsook everything to follow, is going to leave them for some unknown amount of time. He's just, he's taking off. He's leaving. And they're thinking, what? The, the, the one who's led us, protected us, provided for us, the one I left everything to follow is leaving now? And that would have no doubt sent them into panic. And then you couple that with the fact that one of them was going to betray him, and Peter was going to deny him. These are troubling things. And so when you get to John chapter 14, Jesus starts by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. He says, essentially, don't worry. And you think, well, wouldn't that be terrific? Uh, that'd be great to not worry. Uh, but these are worrisome 
things. Um, and so, what's he saying when he says, let not your heart be troubled? Well, Jesus said his own heart was troubled uh, just a couple of chapters ago. His own heart was troubled. Uh, so why is he telling us all of a sudden not to be troubled if he himself was troubled? Well, there's a way to be troubled by things. There's a way to be troubled in a way that's not motivated by fear, but by love. There are troubling things that happen around us. When we see people um, who are uh, rebelling against Christ, uh, see people, um, or, or see ourselves even, uh, dishonoring the Lord in the way that we live, there's reason to be troubled there. That's not motivated by fear. It's motivated by love, right? We want, we want ourselves, we want the people around us to love Christ, to enjoy Him, and that's troubling. This is a different kind of trouble in John 14. Here he's essentially saying, uh, don't allow whatever problem you're facing to convince you that the God who is sovereign isn't working both for your good and His glory, even if it doesn't look or feel like He is. That's the idea of the trouble here. God is sovereign. He's on the throne. And He's working everything for His good and for your, for your good and His glory, right? Uh, but sometimes it just doesn't look or feel like that. And that's the problem. That's why He says this. You know, why does Jesus all of a sudden say, don't let your hearts be troubled? Because He knew the disciples had troubled hearts at that moment. Um, and that confidence, this, this confidence that God's working everything for our good and His glory doesn't always seem to be present in our lives. And so how do we obtain it? How do we get there? How do we get this confidence that in the midst of suffering and difficulty, God is actually working everything for our good and for His glory? Well, Jesus tells us in John 14, 1, He says, Believe in God, believe also in Me. So what exactly should we believe about God and Jesus? Interesting here that He's says, believe in God, believe also in me. I think we're used to thinking, oh, but he's a trinity, right? So when you're believing in God, you're, you are believing in Jesus. And I would say, yes, that's correct. That's exactly what Jesus meant here. Um, he's, he's equating himself with the Father. And we'll, we'll get to more of that in a minute. Um, so what is it exactly that we should believe about God? What should we believe about Jesus? That's the question, right? I mean, Satan believes in Jesus. He's not confused about whether he exists. Um, so what is it that we should believe about Jesus? Or what does belief in Christ look like? Well, in verse 3, um, there's, we, we find this component of trust here. That's, this is going to be a common thing. There's things that as we believe in God, we're saying we trust that certain things are true. We're trusting certain things, right? So in John 14, 3, we're trusting that what we see is not all there is. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Well, in the previous chapter, he already told me this place where he's going, they're not going with him right now. There's this place that they can't see yet where he is, and that place is being prepared for them. Um, so it's a real place. Jesus is actually preparing it, but you don't get to see it yet. So we're trusting there's this place that we can't see that's being prepared for us. In John 14, 2, he says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, just to pause right here. I, uh, some of you are going to know this. So, uh, the audio adrenaline, big, big house. Like, I cannot read this. They ruined it. I, I can't see anything but that. You know, the, the big, big house, lots and lots of rooms. You know, the big, big table, lots and lots of food. 
And of course, the big, big yard where we all play football, right? We're going to do it. Um, that's kind of what I tend to see when I read that. So anyway, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So what are we trusting here? We're trusting that in Christ, um, we are sons and daughters of God. Now, where do I get that from a text about a big house and all this stuff? Well, the focus of the text is not the house. It's not the size of the table or the yard or the football or anything like that. It's who owns the house, who's waiting for them there, and who gets to live there. That's the focus of the text. The house is owned by the Father, God himself. And Jesus, who they know, love, and have left everything for, is going to be there. Their treasure, Christ himself, is going to be there. And the disciples get a room in this house. Well, what kind of people have bedrooms in the house of their father? Well, if you're a father, who sleeps in the other bedrooms in your house? It's your kids, right? Your children sleep there. And so the purpose of the whole idea of the house and the bedrooms and all this stuff is that you are one of those. Like, you're a child of God. You have a room there. Your place is being prepared there. The disciples' place is being prepared there. They are the sons and daughters of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. And there is huge comfort in this. If we're saying, hey, how do we not let our hearts be troubled? You're a son and daughter of God. There's a house in the heavenly places that's being prepared for you. This is not all there is. This is not your final home. Your final home is being prepared right now. And if that doesn't put some gas in the tank to endure this, the problems of this world, I don't know what will. I mean, that is, that's serious stuff. So what else are we trusting? There's more. We trust that Jesus himself is the way to get there. This is the text that we all we just sang, what we know. Um, this is John 14, 6, uh, where he says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, it's interesting in the previous verse that Thomas, after Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go prepare this place for you. I'm going to take you there. Um, and then Jesus says in verse 4, he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas goes, mm, no, I, I don't think I do. I'm not sure where you're headed. What are you talking about here? How can we know the way? And that's when Jesus famously identifies himself as the way and the truth, and the life. So in what way is he the way? Well, he's the way in the sense that he is the singular way. Uh, there is a pathway to God, but there's only one. That's it. There's an exclusivity claim here. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why? Because he is the way. Now, many people take issue with this. You know, we think, well, that's not fair. I mean, what about, what about the well-meaning person? What about the good person in a remote village in Africa or wherever that's never heard the name of Jesus? What about them? They, they never had an opportunity to believe, so how is that fair? Well, first I would say, that's why we do missions. I mean, that's why missions matter. We don't want there to be people who've never heard the name of Christ, right? We want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth so people do have that opportunity to believe. R.C. Sproul was once asked the same question. How is it fair? What about the good person in a remote village in Africa who's never heard of Jesus? And Sproul said this. He said, oh, the good person who's never heard will go straight to heaven when he dies. And he kind of just sat there for him. He thought, what did 
he just said that? He just say that you get to hell without Jesus? He says, the problem is, there are no good people. I went, that is true. Like, I kind of wasn't expecting that. Uh, what about the good person in Africa? That, that doesn't exist. There are no good people in Africa. There's no good people in America. There's no good people anywhere in the world. Wherever you want to go, there aren't good people. There are not people whose lives have perfectly been in submission to Christ or the will of God so that they're blameless without sin and therefore acceptable to God. There's nobody like that except one, right? And he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's one good person, and it was Jesus. It's not me. The wages of sin is death. I've earned death. I've not earned an opportunity to escape it. I've not earned a fair hearing. I've not earned a chance to hear the gospel. I've not earned anything. Chad Barnes should be in hell right now, like now. I shouldn't be standing here in an air-conditioned building with people that love me, love Jesus. I shouldn't be here. I didn't earn anything except death. And so Jesus makes this exclusive claim that he is the way. Well, he's also the truth, right? We know him to be the truth. And when we say that he's the truth, what are we saying? We're saying that he is the fullness of the revelation of God. Like he's not saying, I'm saying things that are true. He's saying, I am the truth. I am the truth. I'm the revelation of God. I'm God in flesh. Um, and he says he's the life. Now, this thing is loaded here. Um, he says he's the life. Well, in what way is he the life? Or maybe we could ask, when is he the life? Um, is he the life just in heaven? Well, he's certainly the life there. That's, that's what he's been talking about so far. There's this place he's going to prepare. There's a life that, in a lot of ways, is, is, is much more living than this one is, right? I mean, there, there's an eternal life to be inherited by us, those who are in Christ. And Jesus is the one who gives that. Um, but he's also life here. He is life like right now. Um, he is our life. He is our joy. Uh, he's our treasure. Um, he gives, he's the one who gives us victory over sin so that we don't have to continue to walk in it. He is everything. He doesn't expand this here in this text. But he is everything. He is our life. He's more essential than oxygen, than food, than water. He is everything, I think, is the claim here. He continues, um, we also trust um, that these words of Christ are true. Okay, so he deals with this. He anticipates what we would be feeling, I think, if we were the disciples. When Jesus says, hey, I'm going to this place. I'm leaving you. I've been walking around with you in person now for years, three years. I've been walking with you, eating with you. We've been hanging out. And now I'm going away. And you're not going to see me anymore. At least not for a while. I'm not going to be standing beside you in bodily form. I'm leaving. Well, for the first time, really, in these guys' lives, now their, their faith, which at the time had really been more like sight, right? I mean, they were seeing. They had that thing that we all think, man, if I could have just seen him. Well, they had that, right? They had it. They saw it. He was there. But now this faith that was once sight is going to be more like the faith that we have. It's Jesus that they're trusting and loving and following. He's leaving. He's not going to be with them in person anymore. He's gone. And so that he, Jesus anticipates all these questions that the disciples would have. And so he says um, in verse 7, 
If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And if I'm the disciples, I'm kind of going, well, I, I've seen the father. That's exactly what they said. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. It's like Philip missed the tense of that previous sentence, right? You have seen him. Philip goes, oh, man, that sounds great. Show him to me. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I've already done that. That's what I'm saying. And he says in verse 9 there, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And so you've got this Jesus claiming here clearly to be God. It's back in the beginning. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You go, now wait a minute. I thought Jesus was a trinity. Or I thought God was triune, right? You go, well, he is. Uh, and in fact, we're going to get the third member of the trinity in just a second. Um, but the idea here is that Jesus is one with the Father. He is not the Father. He's distinct from the Father in that he is the Son. But he is one with the Father in that they are both God. The Father is equally God, the Son is equally God, the Spirit is equally God. It's three persons, one God. So Jesus says, if you've seen me, it's just like looking at the Father. In other words, you know, you know when, I, when I read this verse, I think, I think back to, um, you know, uh, God letting his glory pass by Abraham. You think, well, now, that was more like seeing the Father, I think, right? Because the Father is not flesh, he didn't have skin on, you know, and so he lets this glory pass by. Um, I think, well, how in the world is it that when you're looking at the Son, you're looking at the Father, because the Father and the Son are, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. So how is it that when I'm looking at the Son, I'm also looking at the Father? Well, it's in this sense that Jesus is the full revelation of the Father. When you look at, in other words, what Jesus is saying, when you see, the, when you see me, you're seeing God. And the Father is also God. So to see me is to see the fullness of the character of God on display. And so he's claiming something that none of the rest of us could ever claim. And he's not making any, uh, he's not mixing words here, he's not being confusing, because I often hear, I'll hear arguments that, well, Jesus wasn't, was Jesus really clear? Did Jesus ever really claim to be God? Yes, he did. I mean, there, there's nothing more clear than this. When you look at me, you're seeing the Father. Nobody in their right mind would ever make that claim. And nobody could make that claim. None of us could. But Jesus can because he's uniquely the Son of God. And so when you've seen Christ, you have seen the Father. And so that's one reason that we trust that his words of his are true, right? We trust that his words are true because he is God. He is the truth. And so he says in the next verse here, verse 11, he gives a more reason to believe. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. If you're not convinced by looking at me, by, by observing my character and the nature of who I am, if, you're not, if that's not good enough for you, look at what I've done. Look at the things that I've done in the past. And so he's calling their attention back to, oh yeah, gosh, man, you've, You've turned water into wine. You've raised the dead. You've healed the sick. You've given sight to the blind. Oh, yeah. 
You know, you, you, you've done all this stuff. He's saying, look, think about the works. My words are trustworthy, is what he's saying here. And so, um, lastly, uh, we'll go to verses 16 through 18 here. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So who is this helper? The Spirit of Truth is the Holy Spirit, right? So we have the full Trinity at work here, the full Trinity on display. And so what do we gain from this? We gain that Jesus won't just be with us in the future, but he's with us right now, right? And so he, he's not just saying, hey, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare this place for you, and I'm going to be waiting on you there. Now you're all alone in the meantime. Like I, I'm, I'm ditching you between now and then. He says, no, no, I'm not going to be with you physically anymore, but my Holy Spirit won't just be with you, but now uniquely in a way they've never experienced. He's saying, I'm actually going to be in you. Um, and if that's not a comfort, now I think that's our comfort, right? Because we sit around going, man, you know, I, I can't see Jesus. I feel like these guys had such an advantage, such an advantage. You know, they were right there when they got to see him and Man, I think my life would be so much, I'd be so much more in love with Jesus. I'd be so much more confident in Jesus if I could have just seen him. And what he says to the disciples is, hey, my spirit is going to be in you. Which is, he's basically saying, we're graduating here. Like, we're not going, Jesus' departure is not like going backwards. Like, oh man, you're really missing out on me being here. No, no, no. He's saying we're graduating. We're, we're going to a different level. I'm no longer going to be just walking next to you. I'm going to be walking in you. I'm going to be with you in the nearest possible sense. You will never, ever be alone ever again. When you go to the bathroom, Peter, and I don't walk in there with you, you're not going to be without me anymore. When you go to sleep, I'm not in your bed with you, you're never going to be alone there ever again. Like There is no more alone. I am in you and I am with you. And that is a comfort. When we think about Jesus' words, let not your hearts be troubled. How in the world can we do that? Well, we believe in God, we believe also in Him. And when we say that we believe in God and also in Him, what are we really saying here? Well, from this text, we're trusting that what we see is not all there is. It's just not. He's gone to prepare a place for us, and we can't see it, but it's being prepared. Now, why would we, why in the world would we believe such a thing? Well, because of the works that Jesus has done, right? You look at the things that he's done and you go, oh man, who can do this? Who in the world can raise the dead? Who can heal the sick? Who gives sight to the blind? Who can speak to the winds and the waves and they submit to him? Who can do that? But God himself, right? Who's in charge of life and death and everything in between? God himself, it's only God. And so when Jesus tells us, hey, trust that what you see isn't all that's there, there's good reason to do that. There's good reason to trust him. Now, because he is uniquely God and it's in charge. There's a reason to trust that we're sons and daughters of God. There, there's real reason to trust that, to believe that. And there's comfort in that. There's peace. When we're suffering, we go, man, 
Okay, I, I'm suffering, I'm hurting, this is not easy. But man, I belong to God. I'm his child. I'm, and that's not like a pipe, that's not something we say to make ourselves feel better. That's the reality. I belong to God. I am a child of God. God is my father. Uh, and he cares for me, he protects me. Um, and he's working everything for my good. Just the way that you fathers in the room would for your kids. You mothers in the room, the way you would for your kids. This is what we trust, and God is doing this. There's reason to believe that. Um, and we trust there's only one way to this house that's being built, right? It is, it is Jesus himself. There is no other. It's an exclusive claim. And that's why our hope has got to be there uh, in Christ alone. Um, the gospel, by the way, um, makes sense, I think, doesn't it? I mean... When we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, you know, I think, well, I'm certainly not the way, the truth, or the life. Uh, I can look at my own life and go, man, I have messed things up. Like, there's no reason I should be trusting me. I need to be trusting someone else. And who more trustworthy than the one who died in our place, right? The one who was perfect, who was God in the flesh, and yet who gave himself up for us. There's reason to trust that this way to God is actually going to get us there. It's not a hopeful thinking. It's not a wishful thinking. It's not like, hey, I hope it doesn't rain today. This is a certainty, right? Um, and then finally, we trust uh, that Jesus won't just be with us in the future, but that he's with us now. And that is a comfort. We have God with us right now. We're not just waiting for him or hoping to get to him or hoping to have access to him, but he's with us right now. So if you belong to Jesus, let not your heart be troubled. You're an adopted child of God, and Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you, and one day it will bring you home. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for uh, giving us a sure word. Thank you for your trustworthiness. Now, Lord, thank you that when you tell us you go to prepare a place for us, that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to be with us, and that there is a sure way for us to be saved, for us to get to you, where there's fullness of joy forever. Thank you that those are trustworthy words because of who you are. Thank you that those are actual anchors for us that we can uh, rest in and know to be true. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to grow in that, help us to weather storms with this confidence and not with distress or uh, this worry that you're not who you say you are and you won't do um, for us what's good and, um, and bring us home to yourself. So, Lord, we love you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.